Hey everybody, I'm Tim Muma and you've ordered up Scrambled Eggs today here on localjobnetwork.com radio. Scrambled Eggs is more of a laid-back, entertaining look into the employment realm, looking for some unique skills and non-traditional work that often does fit the mold. Our in-studio guest today definitely brings in some distinctive traits, and he's found plenty of success utilizing his talents to build a career as a performer, a teacher, and in some other ways as well. His name is Mark Salem, and he's often referred to as a mentalist. More specifically, though, he's really been a student of the mind for most of his life and an expert in the ways of nonverbal communication, of course, an extremely valuable asset in any work environment. So, Mark, thanks for coming in today and sharing some of your perspectives here. Hey, thanks for having me, Tim. As I, I mentioned there, you often refer to as a mentalist and that, si- that sort of thing. Uh, I guess, what does that really mean to you? How would you describe it? Well, that? one thing that I'm here for um, in Milwaukee is uh, doing our show, uh, Mind Over Milwaukee. And uh, as a showman, I uh, present my uh, theatrical presentation to um, theaters everywhere from the Sydney Opera House to Broadway to the West End, and now we're here in Milwaukee. Uh, But beyond that, I am a college professor, I'm a psychologist, I'm a writer, I'm an author. And um, the thing that uh, perhaps is most important to some of your listeners is uh, making use of the nonverbal. The show uh, certainly presents the nonverbal in an entertaining form. I Mm -hmm. like to think of the show as entertaining people with their own thoughts. (laughs) But uh, in the same mode... People also need to understand the people that they're talking to all the time. I think that if we understood the nonverbal process, we'd better be better employees, better employers, better parents, better friends, better lovers, better brothers and sisters. I just think that there's so much left unsaid or that can't be said that we really could pick up. We can't protect ourselves against nonverbal non-cue, but we could. Uh, so the words could say one thing, but we really mean something else. Right, and I, def- you know, I think. People know that and they have them back of their mind, but I think so many of us fail in those areas or we fail to recognize some of those things. That's why it's great to have someone like you in here. Well, I think we learn reading, writing, arithmetic, but the one language that we speak over 80% of the time is nonverbal. Mm-hmm. And that we never, maybe get one formal course in it on university level, but that's about it. And it's really the language we speak most of the time, everything from what we wear to the environment that we're sitting in, how one sits, mm-hmm. how one looks at somebody else, tone of voice one uses, all those are nonverbal elements. Nonverbal doesn't just mean body language, right. okay? But it also means your environment. I mean, for example, you have a uh, somewhat rounded table, okay? Now, if you're talking with somebody on the radio, you certainly need to do that. But if you need to cooperate with somebody, you really want to sit next to them, catty corner. Um, one problem people particularly find in interview formats at a business. They're usually at the end of one table. Uh, the interviewer is behind another table. You feel terrible that way. Uh, usually they <laughs> put you in a plush chair, so you sink down and you feel like you're seven years old. Uh, what you really want to do is overcome that. You ask, can I get a different chair? This one's too soft for me. Um, you try to move your close l- chair a little closer to the edge of the table, uh, either to the right or to the left, so you're not directly opposite them, protecting them sure. so much by a table. A- and you've got to create your own environments wherever you are. Now, again, some people protect themselves with a PDA, with a, a palm, with a uh, iPhone, with a pe- glasses, with a pencil, and that is a way to deflect people away from you, hmm. just holding one thing in your hand. On the other hand, you want to make them feel welcome. What you really want to do is you want to mirror somewhat the 
physicality of them. So if they're leaning forward, you lean forward. When they lean back, you lean back a little bit. But don't do it like you're you're, <laughs> you're not goofing copied. on them. Right, right. Right, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, subtlety is a part of this. I think your voice should always have a certain lilt to it. Answer firmly, look people between the eyes, hmm. and then look away. I mean, looking in the eyes, first of all, it's uncomfortable. You don't feel natural doing it. You stare at people between the eyes, it looks like you're staring into the center of their skull. And uh, they really feel this intensity, and you'll feel it too. Well, it's funny you say that because uh, my wife and I tell our, our young boys to look at the adults' noses. Because, again, as you said, it's right. a little uncomfortable. Kind of, uh, It's hard for kids especially, but even adults have a hard time looking in the eyes. And as you said, it can be uncomfortable for both parties. Right. Now, obviously, there's a lot of different areas you can go with this. And I'm glad how you already incorporated into sort of you know the business-type world or interview setting. For yourself, though, was there something that – triggered this that you wanted to be interested in how people thought how they how they did react and interact non-verbally as opposed to just what we say well my my interest uh, ever since i've been a child has been how we're affected by everything mm. uh be it i worked on the studies of the effects of violence on television i was a director of research at sesame street for over a decade okay. but the man who founded the field of nonverbal communication man named rave birdless was my mentor uh, at the University of Pennsylvania. So, I mean, I've always been looking for the ways in which our environment impacts on us, be it the printed word, be it the computer, the television, uh, or face-to-face interaction. Now, you mentioned teaching uh, and at the collegiate level, these types of things, the idea of nonverbal. Right. And, and um, when you were presenting that, when you did talk about these things, I mean, did you focus it on the business world at all, an employment side? Was it an overall look? I mean, how did you sort of in- intertwine everything? Oh, yeah. There, there were courses in corporate communication that I taught, small group communication, mm-hmm. the dyad one-on-one, which is still the basic unit, even in organizations, your basic unit of communication is one-on-one, right. the dyad. Once you get beyond that, yes, there's different formats for wider and wider audiences Till finally there's the audience that you're reaching right now, which is the mass audience, mm-hmm. which calls for a whole different form because people can't see you, which means you have to draw pictures with your voice and with the tonality that we're doing. I mean, you know, they don't realize you're a seven-foot-tall, <laughs> beer- bearded woman. <laughs> if I was, I'd probably have a lot more money in my wallet. Uh, now, obviously, a lot of the stuff, and you brought it up, the idea of these nonverbals and, and in the employment realm, that sort of thing. But just all that aside, when you're looking at specifics, is there something, if, if you and I are sitting here, that, that you think is just the most important aspect if I'm looking to read someone, if I'm looking to tell exactly what they're saying or what messages they're sending? I mean, is there one key? Is there an absolute point that you're like, this is what you have to focus on, at least to start? Yeah, well, you have to look at all information as a packet of signals. It's, mm. not, it's like saying, is there one word? No. It's how a word is in a sentence. Same thing with nonverbals. It's not one nonverbal doesn't mean anything. It only means something the language of the body and of the sound. So you have to look at the language the person is using. Now, we're sitting behind these um, screens uh, that are on the microphones, and and these are really, uh, uh, as far as I'm concerned, an incredible boundary. I mean, you would never try to have any kind of real communication Mm. this way. I can't see your eyes, really. You can't see my mouth at all. (laughs) I mean, we might as well be talking to the telephone, which has its own advantages and disadvantages, but nuance is totally gone. One advantage of the dyad of two people talking or in an office situation certainly is the advantage of being able to see somebody's human side. And it is our humanness that I think that people have to learn to read. 
that uh, is just a real smile that my associates give me or a fake smile? How do you know the difference? Well, a real smile comes on slowly and disappears slowly. A fake smile comes on quickly and disappears quickly. Sure. You'll know in terms of response. Uh, is there some way that uh, I could, as I say, ingratiate myself to that person? Well, as I say, a complimentary body language hands that are open as opposed to hands that are clenched or by your side. All those show that you're interested in what the other person is saying. Uh, you're nodding your head up and down at the same time that you're looking at your notes. Uh, shows that you're trying to multitask. And I think <laughs> multitasking is a very, very difficult. I mean, yeah, we think we could all do it, but we right. really can't. I mean, the data is pretty strong that multitasking, we end up doing each task but less efficiently than if we would do one by itself. So I would think that, ironically, uh, this radio setup is probably the least best <laughs> for any kind of interpersonal communication. Sure. Our faces are blocked. Uh, we're very, very distant from each other. Uh, even if I wanted you to see something, you could hardly see something. Uh, you can't see my lips at all. I at least could see yours. Our ears are blocked off. I mean, we might as well be in a sensory deprivation tank. Um, <laughs> so is that uncomfortable for you? I mean, oh, no, your no. world really is no, reading I, all I, those things. I, I've been in sensory t deprivation <laughs> tanks. No, the point is you could still overcome those. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, you probably don't notice, but I've been swinging my chair back and forth the same way that you have been. I, I did notice that you when know. you mentioned mirroring <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, no, I um, it. <laughs> You know, and, and again, it, it just puts us, you know, but but again, it's one of the few things we have. I can't see your feet. Mm -hmm. uh, your hands are under the table where I've placed mine since you placed yours there. <laughs> again, just in that simple mirroring. So you certainly feel more comfortable with it. I do think that one, for example, uh, now you're at a disadvantage in terms of interviewing. Uh, because there's a light source from a window behind me, right? Okay. That puts you at a disadvantage because it means you have to stare in, into light to see me. Hmm. And that's always uncomfortable. I mean, if, if you're running something, you always want light behind you. Right, uh, right. You know, it's, uh, it's what uh, we see in those old cop movies. When they <laughs> interrogate somebody, they shine the light in their eyes. And again, it depends on the artifacts. I mean, this is a very cold room. Uh, I don't suspect anyone turns this into their thing. There's no photographs here. If you have an office, you want it to somehow reflect your personality. You may want it to fake your personality, uh, which means uh, you may be a mess, but you make sure that your desk is always clean. Sure. But then I'm always suspect uh, people who have clean desks. Uh, <laughs> it's like the people carry thin, thin, thin briefcases. I mean, what's the point? <laughs> they <laughs> yeah, might as well just – exactly. Right, right. Okay, it's all show. But objects are very important. I think that uh, in people's offices, they should try to have things like a trophy to show that they are interested in universal things. Uh, perhaps an autographed picture of somebody shows a bit of confidence. A family picture, always good as long as they're not from some television show and uh, – People visiting your office say, wait a minute. <laughs> I've that, seen that family before. Yeah, that, that dog's lassie. I, I think that you don't want to seem too trendy and be surrounded by a lot of uh, glitter and light. You don't want to be surrounded uh, by a lot of chrome. I think that, that wood, uh, wood tones are, are really good. You don't want a lot of boxes in your office. Uh, it looks like you're either just arrived or just leaving. Neither one is a, a good signal. Uh, you probably don't want anything orange in your office, a uh, very irritating color on the color spectrum. On the other hand, I, would ha I had a professor who made sure her office was always a mess 
because uh, she had so many advisees that she wanted to make sure that they'd come in and leave and not spend a great deal of time. So nice. to feel, unco- <laughs> well, it, it was very wise. That way, you never felt like settling in. You just right. want to get out of there as quick as possible. And it was uh, definitely a forethought of hers in order to get people out of there. Uh, you feel too comfy, people are going to spend too much time. You want a clock that ticks because it shows that you consider time important and it's somewhat ponderous. And then those breaks in talking with people, they hear the tick, 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 and time weighs heavy on them. And suddenly, again, you're back in control of a situation. So those ways to control situations simply through objects. Mm -hmm. The way you've been able to run through all these things, and I can imagine that obviously over the years you've picked up on a lot of this stuff, and a lot of it may, to me, it seems like a feel thing even for you. Some people have asked, can you turn it off? Like you personally, is that something that you can turn off? Or is it something that, you know, the average person doesn't necessarily pay attention to? It's there, but we don't pay attention. Like how would you describe it? Well, it's like language. Uh, Language is invisible unless we're paying attention to it. And then it stops being transparent and we become super hyper um, connected to it. Mm -hmm. So we hear every nuance. So, uh, yes, it's tiring to pay attention to all of it. On the other hand... You could also turn it off. It's kind of like reading. You know how to read, but uh, when you're tired of reading, you could read over the page again and again and again, and sure. you, you know you don't even pick up and translate and make meaning out of the words. So the thing to do is stop making meaning out of things is the way to shut it out uh, because it is exhausting. It's a process. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're making assumptions that are not necessarily true. You walk into an office and you smell something sweet, and you say, ah, there must have been a woman here before me. Well, that sounds very Sherlock Holmes of you, but it could be a piece <laughs> of rotting meat in the corner that's giving that fragrance. I'm just saying, you know, be careful with your assumptions. You right. want more than one piece of evidence to make any kind of meaning out of things. As human beings, this is what we do, perhaps more than any other kind of creature, and that's make meaning out of things. It's what your employer is going to do. It's what your colleagues are going to do. It's what you're going to do. And the more information you have, the more meaning you're going to be able to imbibe, imbue in things. Now, you mentioned you brought up a little bit, maybe sort of like in an interview process and you, you, know, you bring the idea of a, of a comfy chair and some of those little things. You know, we hear from employers in the first five seconds, we can tell if we like someone. Maybe it's the way they carry themselves. Maybe it's something they said right off the bat. If you were giving advice to a candidate going into that job interview, it's probably between them and a few other people only at that point. Do you have advice, tips to give off that confidence and yeah, that yeah, I, I belong yeah, here kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, first of all, as much as I could say it, it's really important. Don't let them see you sweat. Uh, you want to look relaxed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it means you, you, you have to go outside and beforehand hyperventilate or whatever you do to relax. I mean, right. I don't mean come drunk. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, that's a little too relaxed, yeah, and we're yeah. definitely not going to yeah, that. But, but <laughs> you've got to s- give off that sense of confidence. Now, one way to give off confidence is the straight spine. I mean, if you walk straight, you feel straight. Mm. If you smile, you feel happy. Just as if you just turn up one side of your mouth, you're going to feel contempt. We feel what our facial display gives off. Mm-hmm. People think it's the other way around. We feel one way and we look that way. No, we could also make ourselves feel worse or better or contemptuous all through our facial expression. And that's going to translate and more and more evidence is there that we're going to feel that way. Uh, So you don't want to look stern. Mm -hmm. Uh, You do want to look 
friendly. Uh, you do want your voice, as I say, to have somewhat of a lilt to it as opposed to just, you know, you know, add some, if you have to take some diction lessons, you take diction lessons. Add personality to it. It doesn't mean you have to be a comedian. What it does mean is you have to have life and have a life. Uh, the more information you know, the better off you are. I always think that people who are well-read in everything, I don't mean in just business or Mm -hmm. just in the subject that you're applying for, but that you could suddenly tell an anecdote about something. You could tell a story about something else. Those are also nonverbal signals to the other person. In other words, they're spoken words, but they provide a different kind of information. A lot of people think, like, oh, then I'm just acting and it's not really me. I mean, you don't see it that way, though, right? I mean, you're sort of influencing yourself. Yeah, yeah. Think of it this way. Um, Yeah, one of my mentors uh, wrote a book called um, The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life. And uh, the metaphor that he uses is that we have many masks that we put on. And the question you you bring up, well, which mask is really me? Mm -hmm. Uh, His response would be, that's what makes you up. Your various masks. Of course, you're not going to be the same to your boss as you are going to be to your wife as you're going to be to your kids. Right. It's not that anyone is more false than the other. Uh, only a psychotic would uh, put the same face on in every single situation. And that you have to feel comfortable about. You have to realize that. You know, you're not going to go in belligerent saying, well, I'm not going to put on anything. I mean, well, well, that's ridiculous because you do act differently Mm -hmm. in different environments. The thing to do is to act appropriately for the environment that you're in. How about if we take it to a situation, maybe uh, maybe it's a a sale. Uh, We have have sale executives here with us as well that you're trying to – you know, maybe get the upper hand, influence somebody's decision. It could even be in a, a management position you want to, in a way, motivate or influence, you know, the people that are, are working for you. Are there certain tactics, strategies there that are able to be used that I don't yeah, want to say are yeah, unethical yeah, at yeah. any means, but just They're not using your strengths kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. No, I mean, first of all, you, you uh, absolutely want every new idea to seem as if it's theirs. Hmm. Uh, so you may drop a hint towards something. And then let them fill in the blanks, because okay, sure. um, they always feel wiser. So it's it, now. Then there is positioning, uh, positioning, which is a whole science to itself. I mean, if uh, l- let's make believe uh, you have a display of several things. I'll give you an example right now. You have now people can't see, but you have we have these. Uh, what do we call these? What are these called? We coasters. Coasters. Yep. All right. So we have five coasters on the table right now. Okay. And I'm going to try to influence you to choose one of them. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. <clears throat> if anyone can hear that, he's actually writing right. on a yes, piece of paper. Uh, right okay. Now. And then I'll explain how this process worked. Okay. Okay. Uh, so there's five coasters in a row, mm-hmm. and now I want you to touch one. All right. Ah, oh, you did beat me out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I chose the second one from the end. Okay. Um, that's very good. Oh, okay. <laughs> but now I know how you think, so it won't work anymore for you. Um, okay. the, the reason why I picked the second one from the end is people are more, if you wanted some kind of display, mm-hmm. uh, people are suspicious of the ones on the end and the one in the center. Okay. Okay, so marketing research tells us they're going to pick something intermediate, sure. not the center, not the extreme end. Um, you chose the end one because you're a wise guy. But now... <laughs> I, don't know if I, should, I don't know if I should thank you for that or if that... <laughs> but now you won't get it right at all. Okay. Pick one. <laughs> all right. Um, 
Okay, so I got that one right. Got me on that one. All okay. right, so I just want to break it down quick for people. Again, there are five coasters in a row. The first time I picked the one on the, my far left, and uh, Mark was incorrect on that one. The second time he asked me to pick, I picked the one in the middle, and that's the one he marked. So obviously, again, he knows what he's doing. Well, now I know how you think <laughs> also. I mean, it's somewhat contrary to pick the, the extreme right one. Right. So I know exactly what you're going to pick next. Okay. Okay. So which one is it? <laughs> which one am I picking now? Yeah. Okay. And that's the one that I knew that you were going to pick. All right. Now. Why did I assume that? Well, you picked that one before, <laughs> and right now you're t- just getting too tired to reach to the extreme ones. I mean, no, no. <laughs> you're, no, you're right. I'm very fatigued. Right yeah. Now. <laughs> no, no, no. That, that, ha- that has a great deal to do with it, which, again, is why one tends towards the center tendencies. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same holds true for sitting around the table. Where do we sit? Well, if you sit around the table, uh, you know, there, there's certain bosses who say, wherever I sit is the head of the table. But traditionally, mm-hmm. the head of the table is the head of the table. I mean, think of Thanksgiving dinner. Right. Okay. I mean, dad sits at one spot, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at the head of the table. Mom usually sits chairs close to the kitchen so they get, get out of there. <laughs> uh, big brother or uh, the best guest usually stand, sits on the right of dad. Mm-hmm. All right. Same holds true of any executive meeting. Now, when you look at presidential conferences, in order to have control over a larger span, okay, presidents usually sit in the middle with their most important advisors to their right and to their left. Okay. All right? But I remember during the Vietnam War, they went through so many permutations. Half of uh, the uh, negotiation process was the shape of the table, which ultimately ended up being like that, kind of like an S. Okay. So that one would sit here so that everybody could be at the head of the table. Right, right. Um, (laughs) You know, and again, it's brinksmanship. It's one-upsmanship. It is a game, but it's a game that – has strong ramifications, which is why, again, as I say, the more you know the person, the better off you are. You know, are they the extreme person who's going to pick from the end, or are they the middle person? Mm -hmm. Uh, Are they going to follow the mean, or are they going to go outside of the norm? Um, And this will help you when you want to um, influence them, because that's basically what we're talking about. We're talking about you influencing employees, you influencing the person who may do the hiring, Mm -hmm. you influencing your boss. And again, let them fill in the blanks. Don't give them every detail of your life. Believe me, they don't want to know. (laughs) You know, some things that that apply and some things that show life beyond this place Mm -hmm. are are very important because, again, it shows you're well-rounded. Now, obviously, we've talked about a number of different things, and I, I mean, I think you've done a great job of correlating you know, the everyday life kind of stuff to what you've done and what you're able to do and, and reading people and understanding, you know, how they work. You you mentioned, you know, there's no type of, you know, occult or supernatural ability to anything you're doing. How would you then describe it to people? You talk about maybe something you feel. I mean, I've seen clips of you being blindfolded with tape over your eyes and you're, you're, yeah. you're not touching an object, but it's underneath you and you can sense maybe a color and a shape, that sort of thing. What, what is that exactly? How do people get to that point? Okay. Well, first of all, if we think of our vision as the most important sense, we've already lost half of the battle. Mm. Uh, when you go to a courtroom, you go to a hearing. When you sit in a show, you go, you're in the audience, not the videos. I mean, it's just in mm. the past hundred years with the graphics revolution that mm-hmm. we think that posters, television, visuals are the most important aspects. They aren't. Um, we are tribal people. We listen to things. The drums were the beat of our life. Um, the rhythms of the music is what we hear. Uh, what we see 
is what I call the tyranny of the visual, makes us think that that's what things should be. Now, again, we are transitioning. I mean, where we're going to be as a people, but what I do is I listen. I pay attention. I smell. I use 16 other senses, none of which are supernatural. We have at least 30 different senses. But we don't pay attention. We don't learn to use them. The website, MarkSalem.com, will talk you through some of this sort of stuff. Plus, it'll have some reference books that you could get at the library. There are paperbacks. Mm -hmm. They're not occult. They're not supernatural. They're everything from improving your memory, improving your sensitivity. Uh, memory is an important aspect of all of this. Again, the more you could draw these pictures in your mind. Uh, when I do things, there's several things uh, at work. I don't need vision if... I hear people next to me, if I get a sense of calibrating of something, if I hear wind blowing over something, I mean, it's quite fascinating just now, because of the attenuation of the headsets, mm -hmm. I could hear literally the number of sheets of paper going by, <laughs> okay? I mean, you know, I don't know if people at home could, but I certainly could. And the point is, you have to adapt yourself so you hear that all the time. Indeed, for me, the universe is a... Uh, booming bunch of lights, sounds, smells, and tastes. And uh, part of it is to zero in and focus in, and part of it is to translate it rapidly enough to make use of it. And, uh, and intuition. Intuition, again, is your life's experiences. The more experiences you have, the easier it'll be. I mean, I know physicians who could shake hands with you and tell you what's wrong with you. Hmm. Now, they don't have supernatural powers, but they can't tell you how they do it. I know how they do it. Um, <laughs> they've internalized a lifelong training. So they see a droopy eye. Mm -hmm. They see some ruddiness in your skin, a wetness in your palm of your hand, and they make certain assumptions. Well, they make those not out of the blue. They're processing information. They right. just don't realize they are. We're always making assumptions. To me, that's what is instinct is. Intuition is that. The thing is, we don't listen to our intuition. If our intuition says you shouldn't go there because it's dangerous, we ignore it nowadays. Hmm. Um, no, I don't mean the little voices in your head that say, kill Bob. I mean the ones... <laughs> Avoid those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Avoid those at all yeah. costs. But, but um, we don't listen to our intuition. Our intuition is what made early man survive. It told him there was a wild animal behind him. Uh, today, we just don't uh, listen to that stuff. We're bombarded by so much around us, we don't sensitize ourselves to this. And uh, I do th recommend that every human being have some sensitization to this. Mm. Uh, shut off the TV or watch the TV with the sound off for an hour a day. It'll, first of all, you'll enjoy the television much more. <laughs> um, and plus, you'll suddenly begin to see things you haven't seen before. Well, Mark, I mean, we truly appreciate you bringing this perspective. Obviously, it's a, it's it's in the same vein, but slightly different than what we normally talk about. So it's nice to get that idea. And, and some of the things you bring up about following intuition and, and relying on more than just what we'd see probably as, you know, the limited amount of senses we think we have. So I definitely appreciate that. Um, obviously, your skill set and um, being able to fill in that aspect. But everybody it. could do it. Right. I mean, that's the point. Uh, look, not everyone could be funny and not everyone should tell jokes. On the other hand, we could all increase our awareness by at least 100 percent. Right. Uh, Mark, you did mention it once before, but where can people find out more about you and your book and some of that kind of stuff? Uh, well, all the information is MarkSalem.com, and uh, right now we're at the Milwaukee Rep. Um, so it's MilwaukeeRep.com. And uh, for Mark Salem, it's M-A-R-C. Correct. S-A-L-E-M.com. Again, Mark, thanks a lot for coming in today. Hey, thanks for having me, Tim. Definitely. 
And of course, uh, we're going to have to bid adieu to all of you listening to Scrambled Eggs here on localjobnetwork.com radio. As usual, we do encourage you to send us any comments or suggestions for any of our shows, not just this one. Just email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You've been locked on to Scrambled Eggs. I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.